people make very light of Jesus. And that's why sometimes it's important that you know uh, we're not against anybody because God hasn't put us against anybody. We, we, we don't have open fights. But we've got to understand why certain things don't click with us. You take the Jehovah Witnesses who are giving a tremendous testimony in terms of numbers. What other organization rents out the Yankee Stadium annually? I don't know if they fill it, but they sure look like they do. And then you say, well, aren't they our, our brothers in the Lord? Well, no, they're not. <laughs> Strange as that may sound, they're not. They're not because Jesus is not what he is to us. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a man of history. Jesus is someone that walked and came through on this earth. Uh, but he's not the son of God and his blood does not wash away sins. So I have news for you. They do not worship what we worship. And I remember once telling a young uh, Jehovah Witness, I said, uh, but look, the blood of the Lord Jesus washes my sins away. She says, oh, we respect the blood too. Oh yes, we go heavily into the blood. That's why we don't have transfusions because of the blood. And she went on to try to, I said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about human blood or the value of human blood or the importance of it or what you do or what you don't do. I'm talking about the blood that was shed on Calvary. And that that blood washes us whiter than snow. That that's the answer to our sins. Uh, not prophecies of old. Not to use uh, uh, Jehovah and a thought of a kingdom that he is establishing. No, 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 no. God establishes his kingdom through his son Jesus. Uh, and the point of establishment uh, was, well, was in eternity. But where we see it clearly is Calvary. And you can't bypass it. Calvary is the place. And the Jesus that died on the cross and shed his blood. So this is important. We've got to understand Jesus. Come meet my Jesus. And the first word I give you today is that he is deity. And what does deity mean? Simply divine. What am I telling you? He is God. And nothing less. He is God. God of very God. But you know, Sister Amy, I get so many problems between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't know who outranks who. Isn't that precious? When it comes to the Trinity, there's no outranking. They are one. They are one. It's not Father saying, hey, I'm in total command here. Now everybody's a subordinate. Now, uh, you know, get in line. That's not it. That the, they've divided up their work. And that it's very precise and glorious, but it's just one plan. It's just one God. It's just one execution. Whether it be creation, whether it be redemption, whether it be all that will happen at the end time, our, our famous word, eschatology, whatever, whatever is going to happen prophetically. One God running the whole operation. And that's why it's important that we understand, come meet my Jesus. Come meet my Jesus. Because knowing him as you should know him, redemption hinges on that knowledge. Redemption hinges on you knowing who he is. And not only that, I got news for you. Knowing who he is lets you and I know he is the foundation of the church. We don't have another foundation. You don't come in here because we have a good package to offer. 
You don't come here because we've got good Sunday school and because we've got good VBS uh, and because your children can go to camp. That's no reason for coming here. I will agree that God's given us the wisdom to use it as bait. Praise his holy name. We're not, we're not, we're not arguing that. Hey, when you go fishing, what do you do? Say, little fish, jump in my boat? No, you don't. You, whoo, and you know all about how to catch it and what you're going to do. And, and uh, when the line is pulling, oh, you should see those men get excited. I, it's a wonder they don't fall out the boat. But this is what happens. God's given us the wisdom, the wisdom to reach men, the wisdom to reach children, the wisdom to reach people, okay? And let me tell you something. Knowing who Jesus is is the opening to real worship. And that's the whole secret of a service like this. The secret of a service like this is to be able to worship. We've got to be able to worship. What do I mean by worship? You say, oh, when your hands go up, when you sing from the hymn book. No, 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 no. When something in here starts to sing when no one else is singing. When something in here starts to send up rolls of praise when no one is praising. When something in here feels like it's, a, like, like it's a river, like something's gushing within you. I remember when my girls were small, they say, Mom, you know, sometimes I get these feelings of like something's good's going to happen. I says, honey, that's the touch of the Holy Spirit. Just a good feeling. That's the Holy Spirit. That's worship. And what we take home from here and what we occupy ourselves in here has got to lead us to that. Because you see, when you're through with the service, we're through with the service. But we're never through with worship. We're never through with living for him. We're never through with loving him. We're never through with understanding his commission to us. That's why wherever you go, you drop a seed. You drop a seed. And how do you start dropping seeds? You say, you know, you know, Sister Amy, you say that every week. But how do you drop a seed? Well, you don't always do it right away. Sometimes it takes a smile. Sometimes it takes a hello. Sometimes it takes just a little dumb conversation. It's nice out today. It's terribly hot out there. Watch it. Listen, folks. I don't care what it takes. But I've made up my mind I'm going to communicate till the day I die. I've made up my mind that there's nothing more important in this world than people. I've made up my mind that there's nothing greater than our commission to reach out to people. There is nothing more important. You tell me something more important. There isn't. And when that is the crux of your life, everything flows in subordination to that. And God takes care of every level. I'm not talking about fanaticism. Don't anybody misinterpret me. Somebody that leaves their house to preach the gospel and doesn't take care of their family. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a loony lady that wants to give out tracts but has an eye into her husband's shirts. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about somebody that wants to go to the hospitals and, and pray for the sick. And her house needs, you know, the department of fire to come in and hose it down. I'm not talking about that. Because some people get such cockamamie ideas of what it is to serve the Lord. I mean, people go off on tangents. Oh, I always remember, I've given you this story a million times. My mother would say, Amy, it's your night to do the dishes. And I'd say, Mother, I've got to pray. <laughs> I was an upcoming evangelist. I had to pray. It's your Saturday to clean the house. Mother, I've got to go out and give tracts. And oh, my heart just, you know, oh, I was so spiritual. My mother, at first, she couldn't handle me. Until one day, she says, come here. I says, what, Mother? Mm. You know, smelling the roses of heaven. Mm, what is it, mother? 
She says, you know, you're the light of the world. And I thought to myself, she's finally understood my mission. And then she added this, and I have to say it in Spanish because that's a catch. I'll interpret it. Pero de esta casa, puras tinieblas. But of this house, sheer darkness. And I thought to myself, mother. She says, look, until you learn to take care of your house, you got no business outside. And I thought to my, I, I walked out and I said, she doesn't have the spirit of God. I was finding a corner to pray for my mother. Now I realize that, hey, the real knowledge of Jesus will never throw you off on a deep end. It'll make you more loving than you've ever been. It'll make you more caring than you've ever been. True loving and true worship gives you a, a perspective for life that's so glorious. It gives you a sense of love and caring. It gives you a sense of sacrifice. And above all, it gives you a, almost a perfect sense of priorities. What goes first? You know, there's a world crazy out there because they don't know what goes first. And because they don't know what goes first, then comes drugs, then comes booze, then comes sex, and then comes all kinds of crazy living. Why? Because they don't know what to do. And so we've got the famous word, live it up. No. God tells us what to do. Amen. He that does not care for his own is worse than the infidels. Whoa. That's a heavy. And we've got to think about it very carefully. So when I say come and meet my Jesus... Understand that he's God. And that if you're ever going to be saved, you got to know who he is. Come meet my Jesus. Because if you're ever in a church and the foundation is not Jesus, you're wasting your time. Come meet my Jesus. He's the key to real worship. You know, some people say, you know why I'm not in church? Because my wife is terrible. I mean, she really pulls me away from it all. And then there are other little ladies that say, well, it's hard for me because my husband, he's just... <clears throat> Well, you know something? That doesn't work. That doesn't work. There's something about spirituality that has to do with no one else. You're waiting to be spiritual when your husband's spiritual? Lady, forget it. My good man, you're waiting to be that spiritual giant when your lady walks up right by your side and you're both going to be Goliath in a week together? It's not going to happen. There's always one that has to take that step and say, I go for broke. We'll talk about that. Okay. You say, come meet my Jesus. Well, won't he manifest himself? Won't he show himself? Is it so necessary for us to be? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me tell you something. The Bible gives us a tremendous insight about Jesus. And there are things that Jesus was really, really into. Now, people get very upset when you talk about money in church. Isn't it the truth? Oh, some people say, mm, oh, you know. Yet listen to what the gospel says. He sat and watched the people put in their offerings. And you say to yourself, now why is that there? Jesus enjoyed watching the people give. And because he was who he was, he knew who gave and who didn't give. But he was still interested. And he taught them the lesson. He says, the rich, they give out of their abundance. But this little widow who gave two pennies, she gave out of her poverty. Matter of fact, Jesus said she gave everything she had. It, it, isn't it amazing? 
And there's a time in the, in the Gospels where Jesus looks at his disciples and it almost sounds like he's moving into an era of insecurity. You know, you know when you get insecure, isn't it, isn't it terrible? Insecurity is horrible. Because when you're insecure, everybody's looking at you like this. Mm. Yeah. And people that are making gestures that have nothing to do with you, you look at them and say, he made a face at me. It has nothing to do with you. But our insecurity kills us. It really does. If people look cross-eyed, hey, they got something wrong with their eyes. It's not that they're looking cross-eyed at you. But we, we, our, insecurity, our insecurities kill us. They kill us. I mean, we walk around all scared. That's, that's one of the most beautiful things about knowing God and loving God. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Spirit of God. The first thing he does is free you from a lot of insecurity. It takes time. Don't, don't, it doesn't happen overnight. Listen, folks, the only thing that happens instantaneous is the forgiveness of sins and the washing of Jesus' blood of your sins. It's the only thing instant in the gospel. Everything else is a process. So when you try to jump that and then try to jump in all the rest and say, whoa, no, it doesn't happen. Okay? Now, Jesus not only enjoyed watching people give, and it, he teaches us that, but he asked his disciples an interesting question that sounds like he's, he's dealing with insecurities. Who do the people say I am? Have you ever seen those pictures of these big movie stars? Uh, did you read the articles today? Did you pick up the reviews? Uh, what does variety say? Uh, what, 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 what's, what's in the paper? What are, what are they saying about me? And they're dying there. And if the reviews are rotten, forget it. You know, uh, two critics put together can close a Broadway show that cost a half a million dollars to just put into practice. So you know the insecurities this world has. Now Jesus says to his disciples, who do the people say I am? And I, lo I love this because they all chimed in. <laughs> we got to feed his ego. Let's help him. Let's help him. And one of them said, you know who they say you are? They say you are John the Baptist resurrected. Because you're just like him. You're powerful in your talk. And, and, and he, was like, he was like something out of space. And you're close to it. Not as bushy. Not as burly. And you don't dress like him, but you're a lot like him. And he says, and who else? They say, Someone, and then one, one of the others chime in and say, oh, no, 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 listen. In my part of town, they say you're Elijah. Now, Elijah was of the prophets the most dramatic. Never wrote a book. We have no papers from him. Yet one of the most dramatic. He's the man on Mount Carmel. He's the man with 450 prophets of Baal ready to kill him and slice him up. He's the one that challenges the enemy and says, who is God? And our God will answer by fire. So people say, that, that's you. You're, you're. And I, I think the other one said, you just said John the Baptist, he's dead. I mean, what are you going to compare him to John the Baptist? I said, no, Elijah, that's, that's, that's a comparison that'll boost his ego. And then somebody else says, well, uh, uh, Somebody saw you crying. You know, they say you're Jeremiah. You're the prophet Jeremiah. Then one didn't know what to say, but he had to say something. I like him. That's probably me and that bunch. <laughs> oh, you're a prophet. Oh, you're a prophet. Give him any title. Any title is good enough. And then Jesus turns around. They're talking about people of power, people of tears, people of religiosity. And he turns around and he says to them, with a great deal of meaning, who do you say I am? 
Now let's forget the world. You already told me what the world says. Now tell me, who do you think I am? And at that moment, almost like a lightning bolt, Peter is shook into his bone. And he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Whoa. Whoa. Then Jesus answered, and it's so beautiful. He said the following. He said, Christ the Messiah, and we're reading from the 16th chapter. And it's the verse 16, 16, 16. It's always easy to remember Simon's confession. Peter answered, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. God has blessed you, Jesus says to him, son, Simon, son of Jonah. For my father in heaven, now listen to this, has personally, can't get a better direction than that, has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. Come meet my Jesus. Jesus himself said that. The only way you're going to get to know my father is through me. And the only way you really get to know me is if my father lets you know me. So there is a oneness there. There is a revelation of power and dignity and grace and glory. It is unbelievable, folks. Listen to the way that goes. Not revealed by flesh and blood. What does that mean? You can't inherit salvation. You can't give it to your kids like a Christmas present. You can't. You can't. You can't tell them. And listen to the way the world has sinned, and it's so interesting. Because you have people today that will say to you, my parents were Catholic, and I'm a Catholic, and I will die a Catholic. But that's okay, let's go to England. There are people there that say, we are Anglicans, Protestants. And my whole family has been. And we've got relatives all the way up to the Archbishop of Canterbury. So that's where we stand. And the crown stands there. The queen. And the future king. In other words, their religion is inherited. They are what they were, what their families were. Jesus says it's not revealed by flesh and blood. It's not inherited. And the teaching of knowing God through religiosity is almost, and I share this with you, it is. It's out of order. You can't inherit it. You see, folks, that's the shortcut. It's easy to tell a kid, you're going to go to my church and you're going to be what I am in my church. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, parents. Listen to me carefully. My husband and I ran the show in our house till our children were 18 years old. And I say that with, with a lot of sincerity and with a lot of great joy. What you live under my roof, you do what I say. That's all there is to it. Okay, I'm hearing today of six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and ten-year-olds and nine-year-olds that tell their parents they don't want to come to church. I mean, what kind of children are you bringing up? What kind of children are you bringing up? 
My children never had the choice. Am I cruel? Am I an animal? Maybe. Maybe, but I, I, that's okay. I have, I have biblical authority for that. I'm in charge of them till then. And it's beautiful because there comes a moment when you realize, hey, you have certain authority as a parent. But when it comes to revelation, they've got to drink that. And that comes from God. And lest you have it, what will they drink? Lest they see it in you. Lest they taste it from you. Lest they know its value in you. Now that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different ballgame. But they still have to come to the point of revelation and of acceptance on their very own. They can see, they can be, they can... But this is the way it goes. So it is not inherited. It's not by blood. It's not, it's taught. It's not taught, rather. And listen, let me tell you something about taught. Jesus goes on and, and, and he hits hard on that. He hits so hard on that that it's frightening. Because he goes on and he tells the disciples, and he tells them very carefully, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And the, 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 the disciples scratched their head a little, yeast of the Pharisees. What is he talking about? Well, he was talking about what they taught. What they taught. They taught people how to fulfill the commandments. Mira que cosa. They taught people how to commit. In other words, they taught them if you do this and this, you fulfill this commandment. If you do this and this, they interpreted the commandments and they interpreted the commitment of those. That's why a young fellow when Jesus meets him and says, you've got to do this and this because he says, what do I do to inherit? Poor kid didn't know any other way. Everything he's gotten was through inheritance. So he says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you've got to fulfill the commandments. And he mentioned about three or four, maybe four or five. And the boy was filled with joy and glee. And he says, whoo! I've done all of that since my youth. Why? Because rich people had a way of being able to pay the commandments through. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And that's why I love what Jesus says. Well, then go sell everything you have and follow me. Why? Because what dominated his life was his money. Because he had even bought religiosity with it. Now Jesus says, get rid of it. And come follow me. And he promised him riches. You'll have riches in heaven. Just a transfer of bank. Chase Manhattan. Eternal bank. Okay? Chase eternal. That's all. Just a transfer. But if you don't understand God, you'll never understand the transfer. Are you hearing me, folks? Are you hearing me? The scripture tells us so clearly. The only one that can reveal this truth to you is my heavenly father. And I love the way he says it. For my father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. Then he goes on to the most complicated interpreted scripture of the New Testament. He gives it a whole new foundation. Goes on and he says, you're Peter, a stone. Okay. And he had promised him when he called him, he says, you're Pedro, and I will call you Cephas. You are Peter, and I will call you the stone, the rock, okay? And then he says, you are Peter, the stone. In other words, the name I gave you when we first met, the name I gave you when we first met, it still holds, okay? Then he says, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? It's not Peter, folks. It's Peter's confession. 
It's the promise that God, that Jesus gave Peter when he first met him. Your name is Peter, and Peter means rock, Petros. It means rock. Okay? So he says, I'm going to keep you on the rock. You're going to know all about the rock. Because it's the rock that's going to be the foundation. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. And listen to what he says. And when that foundation, upon it, I'll build my church. He's not building it on Peter. Three verses later, he calls Peter Satan. Do you think God's going to build his church on Satan? You know, I, I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm always amazed at how people can pick up one verse and not read on down to go in and see the weakness of this man. Well, well let's go on down with it. Let's enjoy this for a minute. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever doors you lock on earth shall be locked in heaven. Whatever doors you open on earth shall be opened in heaven. That is the power of prayer and intercession through the knowledge of redemption through Christ Jesus. And it is nothing else. We can't go around magically getting rid of everybody's sins. We can't go around magically binding and unbinding. That is a story for I don't know who. The authority is in prayer. The authority is in the word and in the power of God. Let's go on. Uh, listen to what it says. And then he warned his disciples, telling him against others that he was the Messiah. Why? He's still low key. For then, uh, for, from then on, Jesus began to speak plainly to his disciples about going to Jerusalem and what would happen to him there. That he would suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders, that he'd be killed, and that three days later, he'd be raised to life again. Peter took him aside uh, to remonstrate with him. Uh, I love this. I, I think of Peter. You know what I think of? The best bodyguard in the world. You, you talk about mafiosos, right? And always with big fellas around them. Well, hey, Jesus had a big fella. His name was Peter. And then Peter looks aside and he says, heaven forbid. I don't know what you're talking about, but heaven forbid. This isn't going to happen to you. Can't you hear, Peter? Over my dead body. <laughs> no one's touching you. I won't let them within a mile of you. And then can you hear, can you hear the tenderness? I, there's a tender part to Peter. I can hear him saying, hey, master, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know there are a lot of tough guys. I know a lot of people are edging in on you. But don't be afraid. I'm here for you. Look at me. Oh. I love him. I love him. I think Peter was everything you want to have as a friend on earth. Might get you killed. But, but anyway, this, this, this is Peter. And Jesus says to him, and I've never heard such strong language. Jesus turned on Peter and said, get away from me, you Satan. Can you imagine? Up here he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, Neither flesh nor blood has revealed it to you, but my Father that is in heaven. Three verses down. Get away from me, Satan. He said, Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Your master talks out of both sides of his mouth. No, he doesn't. You are dangerous. You are a dangerous trap to me. Okay? What does what, what it meant here? Hey, folks. A lot of people would have taken Jesus without Calvary. The Greeks would have taken him without Calvary. Lots of people would have taken him without Calvary. There were people that loved him all around. There were people that would have built idols and, 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 and big things for him. There were people that crossed the sea to see him. 
And that's why Peter says, listen, we got to keep you. You're the secret of the toppling of Rome. With you, can you imagine when the armies are coming and you give off with your... Because that's the way they saw the miraculous. What can I tell you, folks? That's the way they saw it. That's why when they came back, they were like little kids. Jesus sent them out. And they came back and they stood there trembling. And they said, Jesus, we were just like you. Yahoo! We cast out demons. We healed the sick. Everything you do, we did. Oh, man. What a trip. What a trip. And Jesus looks at them very nonchalantly, folks. He says, oh, yeah. I saw Satan when he was thrown out of heaven. They're looking at him. Oh, well, what, are, what we're telling you, what does it have to do? I mean, what are you saying? What is he saying? What is he saying? The kingdom isn't casting out demons. The kingdom isn't healing the sick. The kingdom isn't even preaching. The kingdom is knowing Christ. Hallelujah. Knowing him in a way that your life is totally surrendered to him. Knowing him in a way that unequivocally he is your everything. You know, folks, that's why the life, life in the flesh is such a battle. And our flesh gets ahead of our Lord. This is where flesh got ahead of Peter. Because he was thinking of his Jesus. He was thinking of the man. He was thinking of the brain. He was thinking of Jesus. We need him. We've got to keep him. Jesus just wanted them to see the Savior. Because if they saw the Savior, that's all they needed. Because you see, when you see the Savior, when you get lost in him, whatever he had on earth, he's willing to share with you. And you will become not his replica, but his representative. And you will walk through the face of the earth doing the same things he did. Sister Amy, I'll heal the sick. Sure you will. You believe in him? You believe he's in you? There is a need? You reach out. Oh, but it doesn't always happen. No, it didn't. And it doesn't. But he'll be that close to you. That close he'll be to you. And then it goes on and it says, and Jesus turned on Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're dangerous to me. You're thinking merely at a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, what does that mean? That we still, we don't have Calvary here. He's not talking about Calvary. He says, whoever wants to follow me, take up his cross. Whose cross? Your cross. What cross? Don't I carry Jesus' cross? No, you don't carry Jesus' cross. Jesus was the only one that carries his own cross. You got a cross around your neck? It's not Jesus' cross. It's yours and it's a symbol. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's not Jesus' cross. You will carry your cross. What do we mean by carry your cross? It simply means you will carry everything that would take you away from God. Everything that in you is a negative but that you can't get rid of it. Because if we were to get rid of our flesh, we'd have to kill ourselves. And we can't do that. And in us lies so many battles, so many wars, so many struggles. Some of us are cold fish. 
strong, stoic, cold. Others are all mush. <laughs> what do you do? Jesus loves the tough, strong stoics. He loves them. And Jesus loves the babbling brooks. <laughs> he loves them. You know what Jesus says? No matter what your problem is, are you like a block of ice? Carry it. Carry it and give it to me. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand, folks? What he simply says is pick up your life, pick up your existence, pick it up. We want everybody else to pick it up. Oh, I'm very moody. I got that from my mother. My mother. I'm very talented. I got that from my father. Hey, one for pop. Okay? And we go on blaming the whole world for all our miseries and then, and then, and then go into some of our psychiatrists, psych psychologists, and, uh, and hey, they, they do a great job. I remember once they were discussing when I studied for that uh, psychotherapeutic counseling, pastoral counseling that was necessary for my chaplaincy in prison. Now remember in the studies they would say, how long is a good therapeutic session? It was interesting. Uh, one of the professors says, well, it, it, it's got to range from at least six months to a year for anything positive to happen. And the basic time is about two years. Then I looked at the professor, I said, Woody Allen's been on a couch for 22 years. Okay? So there's times involved. Then he looked at me as though to say, you what a smart aleck. I said, no, no, I'm not a smart aleck. Let me tell you, I know someone that can take care of the past and the present in a very short time. It's the miracle of an encounter with God. I didn't even say Jesus, I said God because we had a lot of people there, rabbis and Jews, uh, rabbis and, and nuns and people from all kinds of professions. Uh, and I said, they said, well, what do you mean by that? And I think the professor thought he was gonna catch me. And I said, well, sir, let me tell you. Conversion to me is an encounter. An encounter that puts you to think. An encounter that makes you balance your life and see it as it is. I says, and the power that helps the seeing is called in the Bible the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us. And he helps us in many ways. He helps us in conviction. He helps us in, hey, and sometimes he even helps us in letting a little movie of our life flash before us in seconds flat. I've experienced that. I don't know how many here have. Where your whole life goes before you. I says, and when that's through, the invitation is to accept Christ. I says, you either accept him or you don't. The professor looked at me and he says, have you? I says, most certainly. Because he thought I was going to chicken out. I says, most certainly. He says, well, is there, you see, what we need to explain here is technicalities. I says, well, there's nothing more technical than a truth that stands before you. An analysis of that truth. And then let's get, let's get legal. Let's, get, let's, go, let's go to science. If you take a test and you have a hypothesis and then you put that hypothesis through the test and every test comes out the same. Hey, you know what? Science calls that a law. And everybody that's accepted Christ with a sincere heart has been transformed. So Christianity is a law. And he says, I've never heard it explained technically. Thank you. That was the end of that. 
that was the end of that. But folks, I wanna tell you today and say it with all of my heart, that what we're told to do is, is not simple. But what Jesus is trying to say is that if we can really get into him, we've got to surrender ourselves. We've got to. Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my follower, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who keeps his life for himself, oh no, I'm going to be who I want to be. I'm going to go where I want to be. I'm going to do what I want to be. I am going to be. Oh, hey, we got it in song. I wish I could sing. I'm going to do it my way. Oh, there's so many. I, I, I can't sing. I wish I could. I'd give you a little old blue eyes and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Do it my way. But I think the best song of them all is, you know, bring in the clowns. You know, come on. When it's all over, what? What is this? What's it all about? Oh, folks, I'll tell you what it's all about. It's all about losing what you and I have that is sheer garbage and finding what he gives us, which is life and life in abundance. Uh, what he gives us, uh, which is a knowledge of self that no one in the whole wide world could ever give you. An inside vision of who you are with all your faults and all your uglinesses. Uh, and at the same time says, I will transform you. Uh, I'll turn your night into day. I will turn your sin into forgiveness. I'll give you a direction you've never had before. And I'll lay out a plan that if you believe me, it won't fail. It won't fail. Okay? What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your life? What can be compared with the value of eternal life? For I, the son of mankind, shall come with my angels in the glory of my father to judge each person according to his deeds. And some of you standing right here, will certainly live to see me coming in my kingdom. You say, Sister Amy, they all died. So that's, that's a contradiction to scripture. They all died. No one's, he hasn't come yet. Ah, the next day he went to a mountain and with three disciples showed them his glory. I'm going to come back and this is what I'm going to look like. Brighter than sun at noon, filled with power and majesty, having fulfilled both prophets and law, being everything that mankind needs. Oh, folks, Jesus is the answer. Amen. You just have to make the decision. Come meet my Jesus. Come meet my Jesus. Come meet my Jesus.